DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. I have a good friend with me uh, today, True Pettigrew. He enters his second year as the Chief Diversity Officer of the Minnesota Timberwolves, but also is the Diversity Officer for the Minnesota Lynx, the Iowa Wolves, as well as the T-Wolves Gaming. And so a big portfolio in the sports and entertainment space for DEI. And True, thank you very much and welcome. Oh, Don, thank you for having me, man. I'm a huge fan of yours, so it is truly a pleasure for me to be here and sharing this space with you. So one of the things, True, that I want to dive into is a lot of organizations and entertainment and athletic organizations, no different, are now making diversity at the forefront in their Mm C-suite. And a lot of times people don't know, however, what that means, right? (laughs) And so talk to us a little bit about what the role of a chief diversity officer is in that sports arena. No, thank you. That's a great question. And I think you and I are seeing a lot of the same things, right? A lot of organizations are placing people in the chief diversity officer role or in an executive level to address diversity in their organizations. And I just want whoever's listening to understand that, make sure that you're putting someone in that position who has some experience, some expertise, and a genuine interest and desire to affect change. 
just because that person is a minority, which we've seen a lot, people being elevated to those roles just because they're a woman or just because they're a person of color is not enough if they don't have a genuine desire, understanding on how they're going to achieve equity and inclusion in that organization and the communities that they serve. So in sports, for me, some of the things that I've prioritized when I first came on board was workforce diversity, fan-based diversity, and supplier diversity. And that's internal. And then externally, really in, you know, we're in Minneapolis, right? So it is a lot of healing that still needs to be done in this community. A lot of disparities and inequities that exist across this state, across the Twin Cities and across the state at large. And so really focusing on how we, as an influential institution in this region, a sports franchise, can leverage our position to help address those disparities and and inequities and provide uh, resolution, healing, and reconciliation. That's a powerful answer, and I I really appreciate it. And I'll I'll dig another layer deeper with that same genre. You see a lot of what's going on in the diversity and equity space general. You've run your own business for many years, a speaker, and now you're a little bit more focused on the sports arena. Who's doing it right? Where are some beacons of light to where you see organizations across the sports and entertainment landscape that are doing things that we should applaud? A lot of times we talk about things that people are doing wrong. I want to give you some space to tell us what the Timberwolves and others that you see are doing to make that positive impact. I'll start off by shouting out our leadership and board of governors within the Timberwolves and Lynx organization. Since bringing me on board, I'm extremely fortunate, Don, in that there has been nothing but support for me to be able to be successful in this role. Glenn Taylor, our current board of governor who has ownership of the team right now, our limited partners that are transitioning into this role of Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez understand the importance. But I really want to give the biggest props and shout out to our CEO, Ethan Casson, who is at the helm of these four franchises. And you know this, if this is not something that comes from the top and can be cascaded and permeated throughout the entire culture of the organization, it's not going to work. And so to have the support that Ethan has shown has really been a blessing for me. And I realize I've grown to realize not all CEOs are created equal, right? (laughs) So I tell people to take a look at Target. Target is doing a really good job. U.S. Bank is doing a really good job in this diversity space and understand how they can impact change among the most vulnerable of our populations across the country, not just here. They're both based here in Minneapolis, but not just here, but across the country. And then some other sports franchises that I think are doing a really good job are the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Brooklyn Nets, the Dallas Mavericks. Those, would, to me, are shining examples that we should be looking at for what it means to take this work seriously, roll up our sleeves, and do the work. Oh, that's powerful, and I appreciate that because in the work that I'm doing with CEOs and businesses of all sides, from startups to global enterprises, we tend to focus on what's not working, and there's plenty of that, right? Right. But in order to create and sustain momentum, we got to show some love to people that are putting real money, real message, real effort behind it as well. momentum stays. And so here's my question that I think will apply to the world of sports, entertainment, but also business. How do you keep the momentum going in your DEI efforts so it becomes a part of the fabric of how you grow your organization 
not just something where it's a reaction right, to something that happened in society? Well, one, having people like you in your network, because this work can be heavy and exhausting. And uh, to quote the late, great Marvin Gaye, sometimes it makes you want to holler <laughs> and throw up both your heads. <laughs> right? But to be able to have a support system, I think DEI practitioners and leaders should understand the importance as we look to facilitate and empower and develop ERGs within our respective institutions to develop your own ERG network of support for people that can help keep you lifted up, people that can pour into you, because this work can be draining and can be exhausting, and it requires a lot of emotional energy to be invested. And I think typically in the workplace, what gets celebrated and acknowledged is mental energy, like people that come up with the really good ideas and strategies and thoughts, right? We celebrate, we acknowledge that. Physical energy, right? Manual labor, people that can, you know, take these three boxes from point A to point B, right? And I'm in the sports world. We definitely celebrate physical energy. I think what gets lost is the need and the value of emotional energy. I think we tend to believe that is something that is more of a social existence, but it requires a lot of emotional energy to do this work, to do this and to be successful at this work and recognizing that and acknowledging that and surrounding yourself with people that will help lift you up and pour into you and then engaging others and helping the organization recognize that, OK, this isn't a department within the organization that is going to wave a magic wand and help everyone understand how to be more inclusive and more equitable. This is the work of every single person in the organization to help achieve a more equitable and inclusive culture and environment. We are a resource to provide strategic guidance and direction, tools and insights, workshops and trainings to help everyone understand how they can be a better contributor to that. But it is the responsibility of the entire organization. And I would encourage practitioners not to try and take it on themselves because that is virtually impossible for any one of us to accomplish what needs to be accomplished in this DEI space. No, that's a powerful answer. And, and I'm posed with a similar question. We have to create an environment that it's a team lift. Right. Because when any one of us right, stumbles, right, if someone's there to pick us up, to provide us that stability, you regroup and go again. Right. You're by yourself and you fall it's harder to get up and go again. Absolutely. I appreciate that response very much. When you think about it, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk a little bit about just kind of what's going on in our world and our society. And you think about the pandemic, mask, no mask. Mm-hmm. You think about our elections, right? 50% think one way or the other. If you and I walk out and I say, the sky is blue, there's 50% of the people that, what kind of blue? Is that blue? <laughs> Right, right, right. And so to really think and now zoom out, what are some of the things you as an individual, right, from a human-centered space, what can we all be doing better to not let those negative narratives drive our internal behaviors in the work that we do and in the people that we interact with on a daily basis? What advice would you give? Oh, man, phenomenal question, because we are dealing with so much division and divisiveness across all aspects of our society right now. To answer your question, the advice that I would give, and it was even in your question, is to really look at each other and connect with each other on a human level. 
restore the humanity in how we interact and engage with one another. To me, this journey is not about agreement. It is about understanding. Mm. I read somewhere, Don, that right, wisdom is the principal thing, so we should get wisdom. But in all of our getting, we should get an understanding. And I think that's what has gotten lost some way, somehow, is if I take time to hear your story and understand your story, understand how you feel about a topic, a subject that we may differ on, right? Understand how you feel about it, but truly listen to understand, not just to reply. I want to understand. But then beyond that, understand why you feel the way that you do. Chances are, okay, I can say, you know what, Don, that's not been my experience. But had I experienced it the way that you did, now that I've heard your story, chances are I'd probably think the same way that you do. And I'd probably feel the same way that you do. Although I don't, now at least I understand why you do. And now I'm equipped with the information that I need to be a better supporter, a better advocate, and a better ally to help eliminate the circumstances and the situations that is causing you to maybe feel whatever pain you're feeling that's causing you to see it maybe through a a negative lens and or just a different lens. And maybe you've offered me a perspective that I had never considered before. If I just simply engage you on a human level, take time to listen, to understand, instead of just always listening to reply. I love that. I don't have anything to add there. I think that one of the things that you describe and the way that you come across and the things I see, the videos that you make, you've created a sense where diversity, equity, inclusion, my feeling is on the inclusion part because a lot of the microphone time that you use is the lifting up of others. And so one of the things that I try to share with executives and leaders is just to remember the power of voice amplification that you have. Mm, That's good. That you can be a beacon of change. You don't have to know all the vernacular. You don't have to have be certified for DEI. You just have to be certified as caring deeply for others. Mm, man. Right? Right. I love the way you position that. I completely subscribe to that. And I think you articulated it much better than me. But I love the way that you positioned it. So one of the things that you alluded to, and we talked about that emotional energy. And one of the things that is we're hearing more athletes talk about, and it's being more talked about in society and business as well, is mental health. Mm-hmm. And that ability to speak openly about your strengths and weaknesses in areas that are not visible. Mm-hmm. Right? What are some of the things that you're doing, that the organization's doing, that you're seeing in this realm of mental health? Because a lot of times I'll let you respond, but when we talk about diversity and inclusion, most people immediately go to race gender, sexual orientation. And yes, these pillars are important, but there's a broad construct of DEI in terms of the work we're trying to do. What are some of your thoughts on mental health and how we can get the word out and improvement there? And what are you guys doing for your players? Now, thank you for that question. I think it's so important, particularly in sports, because to your point, so much of the emphasis and focus has been on what athletes can physically produce. And ignoring the the mental health piece of it, the mental capacity piece that comes with that. And so we're working specifically with partners that 
focus on mental conditioning and it's the mental conditioning of the athlete with the understanding. And you know this, Don, so I'm just going to just share it for our audience is that whatever we think about and allow ourselves to focus on will impact us mentally. And when something impacts us mentally, it eventually impacts us emotionally. Mm. And then whatever impacts us emotionally will have a physical impact. And for the athlete, that impacts your performance. It's all tied together. If you are consumed or concerned or you're dealing with vicarious trauma because you just saw an incident take place with someone that looks like you, now you're processing and dealing with that vicarious trauma that's affecting your mental state, which impacts how you feel emotionally, which affects how you feel physically, which then will have an adverse effect on how you perform. And the athlete understands that I want to always be at my peak performance. So now they understand why it is a priority for mental conditioning for them to maximize their physical performance. That is awesome and well said. And I think as we all get more educated about what productivity and performance really looks like, what mm-hmm. it feels like, right? How it's embodied, that mental component is a big deal. And I grew up in a time, and I'm a Gen Xer, and that work ethic, mm-hmm. right? Right? <laughs> right? You show up to grow up, right? You grind, right? Like that's it. You push it through, right? You have a bad day on the weekend. Right, right. right. That's what the time is for. And as I've matured as a leader, one of the things that has helped that evolution is what's behind that smile at work, mm. what's behind that frown at work. And those things that are outside of the office or off the court, right, have that big impact. And I Absolutely. think of the positives that, and I always try to pull from positives, I'm really glad that there's more awareness to how people are working on and working through some different things. Yeah. No, same here. Same here. Space for that. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. In Underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order Underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. So staying outside of the basketball court for a minute, you're very successful in your career, the things that you've done, and have a lengthy resume I could share with my audience. But when you're driving in a car (laughs) and the blue lights come on, you, like I, are a black man. Yep, yep. And there's a anxiety with that. There is a fear that comes with that. There are different stories we talk to our kids about and families about. My question is, is this, and I'm super interested in all of it, but I'm interested in in this. How do you 
move in the circles you move, grow in the way that you grow without carrying a chip on your shoulder of the things you've seen, of the things family members have experienced so that you can make progress in that business world? How do you balance those experiences with the things that you need to be and become to move forward and stay positive and stay whole and stay focused? Man, I will give a lot of the credit, at least for me and I, we're all works in progress, right? Myself included. Work still a work in progress because I'd be lying if I didn't say it. I'm still not affected by a lot of things that have happened to me and a lot of things that I see happening to others. But I think what's really helped me in that, and I give a lot of credit to my son, and I'll try and make this story as brief as possible, Don, but... Um, we got a lot of cases. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so grew up in Baltimore, was on the receiving end of excessive force quite regularly growing up in Baltimore where I grew up. A lot of crime in the neighborhood where I grew up, a lot of drugs, violence, shootings, killings, all, all of the above. Very unfortunate, but that was the reality of where and how I grew up in West Baltimore. And so the police that policed that community, they treated us all pretty much the same. And so I was not one of those bad actors that was doing all the things that I described, but I was on the receiving end of excessive force, not just me, me and my friends, everyone that grew up where I grew up. So I carried that with me for a long time. I moved to L.A. after I graduated college, lived in L.A. for several years, had some more bad experiences with law enforcement living in L.A., thrown to the ground, knee in my back, gun to my head, officer taunting me, saying, give me a reason, give me a reason to pull that trigger gun pressed to the side of my head, to my temple. You don't shake that off. So most of my adult life, Don, I didn't like and I didn't trust the police. And if we're you know, being candid here on your show, particularly if they were white male police officers, that's always who it was when I experienced those incidents. Living in Cary, you're familiar with Cary, North Carolina, right? You know Cary. So um, fast forward, I'm living in Cary, my family. You know Cary is uh, predominantly white relatively affluent. And so raising our young prince and carry this young black male, man, my son means the world to me. In 2014, when Mike Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson, I mean, I had experienced my own things. I had seen things before, but it hits different when it's your child that you are concerned about. I figured, you know, for me, I'll navigate life. I'll be fine. Didn't like, didn't trust police, but you know, it's like, all right, I'll just continue to navigate as best I can. But Austin was two years old at the time. He was only two when that incident went down with Mike Brown in 2014. And I was concerned for his safety growing up in a place like Cary. I'm thinking like, wow, these white police officers, yeah, they probably want to protect and serve their rich white community members, but they probably are here to police the people that look like me and you. And that included my son. And Don, I was at a loss. I felt like I didn't know what I could do to protect him from that. I was at a loss. And so, um, man, I'm so fortunate now that I was led to go down to the Cary PD one day and express my concerns, my fears, my frustrations, my concerns. And I walked through the door to Cary PD one day. I remember I met him at the time. He was a sergeant. He's a lieutenant now, Jeremy Bergen. And uh, I met J.B., he was head of community services and I expressed myself to him. He heard me. He listened to me. My concern was like, do I have anything to worry about? Like, I don't know the Cary PD, but I know my experiences. Do I have anything to worry about raising my son here? And 
JB listened to me and he expressed empathy in a way that I fully understand empathy now because the lessons I learned in my conversation with JB are tools that I utilize and principles that I apply in the work that I do. JB did um, a couple of things in that exchange. He heard me out. He didn't interrupt me, didn't stop me. And when I was done, these words still resonate with me. He said, true, I'm sorry those things happened to you. What can I do to change the way that you think and feel about the Carry PD? And what can I do to help change the way others in the community may think and feel about the Carry PD if it's similar to the way that you feel? That moment, the empathy that he showed, one, it shocked me, it surprised me, and, and it moved me. And then he challenged me and he asked me, he said, and what are some things you think you can do mm. to help us change the hearts and minds of other people that may think and feel the way that you do? And that led to an introduction to the chief, Tony Godwin, my brother TG, who to this day, to this day, is one of my closest friends on the planet. And we're talking a 6'4", 200-plus white male police chief from the South, brother, which I never thought would be the reality of my walk. Um, JB, too. JB is my man to this day. So I responded to that challenge. I said, well, a lot of the conversations that we have about how we all feel about the police happens in the barbershop. I said, I'd welcome you to come join me at the barbershop. So the conversations that we're having, we aren't just having amongst ourselves. We can actually have them with you all, people who can actually do something about it once you hear the concerns. And I also want the guys in the barbershop to get to know the humans that I've gotten to know, Tony Godwin, Jeremy Bergen, and others. They accepted that challenge. They agreed to come to the barbershop. So we started doing what we call barbershop rap sessions in August of 2004, well, September of 2014. And that first one was a doozy, but uh, it was effective. Much to Chief and JB's credit, they agreed to keep coming back. They said, you know what, True, we want to continue to do this We'll be back if Tron is the owner of the barbershop, Headliners Barbershop and Carry. I said, if Tron will have us, we'd love to come back the first Saturday of every month because it was the first Saturday when we did it and kind of continue to do this. Don, we haven't missed a first Saturday since 2014. Um, and even in the pandemic, we took it virtual. When I tell you that really helped me humanize law enforcement. It helped me understand the importance of empathy and the levels of empathy, emotional empathy, cognitive empathy, compassionate empathy, and what it takes to develop and strengthen those various levels of empathy for other human beings, regardless of their race, their gender, their creed, their background, their profession. So I credit my son for being the source of inspiration that led me to walk through the doors of the Cary PD back in 2014 that has helped me approach and, and engage and interact with law enforcement and anyone else that I interact with through an empathy lens and recognizing that light and dark can't coexist in the same places. And I showed up once to science class in seventh grade. So I did understand that uh, <laughs> the definition of darkness is the absence of light. And I always found that fascinating. Like the definition of darkness, it doesn't even stand on its own definition. It's definition as is how it's its relation to something else. The definition of darkness is the absence of light, but the definition of light is a natural substance that reveals things. 
a natural agent that reveals things. So light doesn't show you anything new. It just reveals what's already there. And so darkness is the absence of light. So if someone approaches me from a dark place and there is darkness in their heart, in their demeanor, I have to now make a decision. Am I going to allow their darkness to eclipse my light or am I going to allow my light to shine through their darkness? Because if the definition of darkness is the absence of light, there is an absence of light in that other person's life. And is it my responsibility to be the light that is absent in their life? And that is the approach that I take. But none of that happens. I I learn none of those lessons if it's not for the love for my son. We all need to have proximity to something that moves us for us to be true learners in this space. For me was when my daughter came out as gay and I had to determine what biases did I or did I not have? Right. How strong is my love for my daughter? Is it truly unconditional? Mm -hmm. And when you have moments in your life that force you to decide, right. And for me, one of the things that is so powerful is, is as I've talked with Sierra so many times and asked her, what can I do and be to support what she is working through in this world? This world is not set up for her success. She's a black woman, black woman, gay. Right. This year, we got the trifecta we're working with. Right, right, right. That's real. I said, so we got to get to it. Like I said, we got to be aligned. And I said, do you need me to go to pride marches with you? What do I need to do to demonstrate in an outward way my love, my support, my compassion? She said, Dad, I don't need that. In the rooms that you're in, I need you to be my voice until my voice is as strong as your voice. Mm, mm. That's what I need you to do. Wow. She said, there are plenty of folks that are allies and we appreciate it. There are plenty of folks that are advocates and we appreciate it. She said, but dad, I need you to be my champion. And that's different. Right, right. And so it was a natural kind of culmination of that when we started at looking at things with the diversity movement and how could we create a business from this? Because I do have an opportunity, as you do, to interact with influentials, mm-hmm. with people that have the ability that if they want to move a needle in something, they can move a needle based yep. on their, right. their experience, yep. their checkbook, their stature. And so I thank you very much for that story about not only your son, but the empathetic reaction in that humanity that those police officers showed. Yeah. As black men, it is so easy to only see and remember the narrative that's put out there and the experiences that we've had yep. and not give people an opportunity to show the different sides that they have as a unit as well. And I still to this day have that nervousness if I'm ever pulled over. Oh, same here. Absolutely. Right? Yep. But I no longer attribute it to all. No. That's been part of my growth a little bit. So I appreciate yeah, it. I've stopped saying the police did something to me. The things that happened to me happened to me. And I encourage other people when I'm in conversation with them to clarify when they say the police did this, the police did that. I was like, no, a police officer did this. A police officer did that or maybe two or three. The police as a profession did not do that. And that's not to suggest that there is not systemic racism in this country, because I believe there is, you know, embedded in our systems. And we were working. Hopefully we're all working through that. But the police did not do that to me. That's powerful. 
I'm going to flip us back to the sports arena and I could talk to you all day. I'm going to wind it down with a couple of additional questions because I know your calendar is, is full and I'm appreciative of this space. Sports is one of the most influential arenas for change in our society. Yep. Personally, I'm so glad sports are back with the pandemic and everything. It gave us something to unify around. Mm-hmm. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, so I hate cowboy fans. <laughs> right, right. But there's a love within that hate, if that makes yeah, sense. No, no, it does. Yeah, right? absolutely. We're, we're cheering for our squad, right? Like, that's what we're doing, and, and the game decides. And there's a winner or loser of the game and all that good stuff. But when we look at football and we look at sports and we look at the representation of people of color in the executive suites and we think of the Rooney Rule in, in football and whether mm-hmm. it's successful or not, what are some of the things that you're seeing that can be done to continue to create an environment where people can gain opportunities based on their merit and not based on the color of their skin, their heritage, but based on what they can do to grow a franchise? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things, man. And, and thank you for that question. So the first thing is really helping people to understand the benefit and the power of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think we use those words. We say that term, D-E-N-I, that phrase, but I spend a lot of time. It's a engagement that I call D-E-I and Y, where let's define what diversity means. Let's define what equity means. Let's define what inclusion means, how they are all linked, but they are all still distinct. They have their own definitions. But then beyond that, understanding why they are important to our organization, to our franchise. And so recognizing that there are three primary forms of diversity. There is identity diversity, there is experiential diversity, and there is cognitive diversity. So the identity diversity is what we see. We see what we perceive to be someone's race, based on the color of their skin, their gender, maybe their age. That's what we see. That's identity diversity. The identity diversity is what influences the experiential diversity, which is our lived experiences. So as a cisgender Generation X Black male, chances are my lived experiences are going to be very different than a gay, white, millennial female from the West Coast. But not because that's what we chose, because of how society views and perceives us. It is going to require her to navigate life differently than me. It is going to require me to navigate life differently than her, mostly because of how society views us, even if it's just on gender alone. But then there's the race, then there's the generation. And so the lived experiences are also going to be different because of geography, region, and just what we was available to us as we were coming of age because of the different generations. So you've got the experiential diversity. And the experiential diversity is what informs our cognitive diversity, our thinking styles. We just think differently. We approach problem solving differently. We engage people differently. We collaborate differently. Therein lies the richness is in the cognitive diversity. Because that is what will allow your organization, your institution, your franchise to have someone that is present that can help contribute to levels of innovation, creativity, 
new products, services, ideas, and solutions that otherwise would not be present without that individual's presence. Now, what happens is we attempt to say, well, true, if the cognitive diversity is where the real value and the richness is, why does it matter if we hire a black person or a woman or someone from the LGBTQ community? If it's really, it's like, okay, fair question, but you can't divorce the three. The reason I have the thought processes that I have, the thinking style that I have, the approach to problem solving that I have is because of the experiential diversity that I've lived that's been different than you. And that is impacted by my identity. Mm. So it's, and then their studies, right? That, that's just more from a pure kind of continuum standpoint of understanding the definition and the forms of diversity that exist within us as humans. But then there are studies that say organizations that have female leadership that are in the top quartile of female leadership at their executive level outperform their counterparts by a 26% greater margin. That organizations and institutions that have uh, racial and ethnic diversity that are in the top quartile of racial and ethnic diversity outperform their counterparts at a rate 38% greater. Like there are studies that support that. And so if we understand why diversity matters, but going beyond diversity to be inclusive of the richness of diversity that is available to you, that is why we should be more focused on embracing diversity and realizing that diversity, and I just didn't even give the, at least the textbook definition, it's the state of being different. What jumps out to me about that definition, Don, is diversity is a state of being. Mm. It does not do anything on its own. It's going to exist tomorrow when you and I wake up, no matter what we do, it's going to exist. The question is, are we going to take the act of embracing that diversity to achieve inclusion and create a sense of belonging so that we can maximize the potential so that we don't have that imposter syndrome that's consuming my thoughts, that's affecting how I feel mentally and emotionally and physically to stunt my performance and productivity. So now I'm not as engaged with my coworkers as I could be. It's affecting my performance, affecting productivity, affecting profitability. So am I going to do the things I need to do to make sure you feel a greater sense of belonging so I can maximize the potential, not only for you, but for the franchise organization and institution? I'm going to let that just marinate with the audience. I'm going to wind it down with this final question. What would you like to share that I haven't given you space, that I haven't asked? What are you doing that you and the Timberwolves or your consultancy are, would like to promote? As a last thought, what would you like to share with our audience? As a last thought, I just want to encourage people to take the time to get to know people that are different than you on a human level. Take the time to get to know others. I really think that is one of the keys to building bridges across the all areas of division, whether it's racial divides, generational divides, cultural divides, divides of sexual orientation, taking the time to get to know others, I think is what I would just want to encourage people to do. I had a gentleman share with me, Don, after sitting in on one of our workshops, they said, wow, true, um, I've realized that um, after sitting in this workshop, everything that I've ever learned, believed or understood, and this was a white gentleman, 
He said, uh, everything that I've ever learned, understood or believed about black people. He said, I'm realizing now that all that information always came from other white people. And so I think we allow ourselves to lean on trusted information sources in our lives, which I think is a natural inclination. Like I trust my grandfather. Of course, I'm going to listen to him. I trust my parents. I trust my teacher. These are people I'm going to listen to. But trusted information sources is not the same thing as a credible information source. And so I would encourage people to not allow your primary source of information about people that don't look like you to only come from people that look like you. True. this has been something I've been looking forward to for a while and you haven't disappointed. I think the compliment I would give you is that the knowledge, experience, the success you had, you still just come across as who you are, which is authentic, which is real, and the goal to be helpful. And we appreciate it. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. To one of your earlier points, right, the work we're doing, the work we've chosen to do, mm-hmm. there are days, right, where you go, man, there's easier ways. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's easier ways to make money than this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's easier things to do man. than what I've chosen to do. And the thing that I think that you'll agree is on those days or on those fleeting moments, I just reflect on who does my part if I don't do my part. Mm. How about that? Right. And that usually kind of jogs me and, and I get back to it. But I don't have any other questions. Have a great rest of your weekend. And thank you very much for spending time with us. No, thank you. And thank you for all that you do. I mean it. You're a giant in this industry. So thank you. 